Hey, everybody. Welcome to Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and I'm so happy you're here with us. If you're just joining for the first time, I am a special needs mom, a special needs attorney, and a best-selling author. So please grab your coffee, and if you're like me, you might be listening in your car. I spent a lot of time in the car in my day. And please join us for some important discussions to help you thrive in this complex special needs world. Each week, we're going to chat with parents and experts, and sometimes parents who are experts, to offer compassionate advice for all stages of your life. These are the conversations you would have with your best friend if your best friend was an expert like me. Let's go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. Well, it's November, and let me tell you, the month of October went by like a flash. Uh, I am sitting here, and I don't know if you all feel this way, but I, I just get into this groove where I am not getting things done that I want to get done. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm so behind in so many things. I had such great plans for this time of year. So many things in my business life, in my personal life that I wanted to get done. Don't get me wrong. I'm achieving a lot of things and crossing things off my list. If you listen to this podcast and you listen to me in any of my other social media venues, you all know I love a checklist, but I am really falling behind. And, you know, I'm just going to say it. It makes me feel bad about myself. I am leaving people uh, wondering why I'm missing deadlines. And it is it's a tough place to be. Um, you know, for those of you who are caregivers of someone with a disability, for those of you who have challenges like myself, you, maybe you know what I'm feeling. Maybe you are in a similar position, you know, this time of year or have been at some point in your life. So I'm working really hard at not beating myself up over this uh, right now. At the same time, this is a tough time of year for me. You know, I am just creeping up on the anniversary of my daughter Elizabeth's passing. It's been just about to be nine years, and I can't believe it's been that long. It feels like yesterday. Um I'm going to talk about it. I do every year. I talk about it because our stories are important. I hope that it will help somebody. It helps me to talk about it. I am not going to stop talking about my Elizabeth. I'm not going to stop talking about my family and our journey. Um, it's meaningful to me. It's hopefully meaningful to other people. And, you know, having that grief time and the triggers doesn't help the situation. It doesn't help me feeling, you know, bad and feeling neglectful about my work and about my deadlines. And so there's just so many things sort of imploding right now. 
Um, and grief is a sneaky little bugger. It just pops up on you when you least expect it. Something will trigger me and I will just, you know, be floored. It'll knock me over like a feather. And that's just it. You have to stop in your tracks, recognize the feelings for what they are and acknowledge them, pay homage to them. And then you can move on from the feelings and get to the next thing. But trying to bury them has never worked for me. So I'm, you know, I'm chatting about them with you today because I just want to acknowledge that that's where I am. That's the space I'm in right now. And I'm reaching out to all of you because maybe some of you are feeling that way as well. Up here in Massachusetts, it's really dark this time of year, very early. It is, um, you know, it's dark when I leave in the morning for work. It's dark when I come home. It's, it's rainy a lot. It's gloomy. It's cloudy all the time. And that just doesn't help my mood at all. So it's already cold, um, you know, and it just makes it harder. It makes it harder to get up, get going and get things done. So um, I tell you all of that to say that the next couple of episodes in the podcast are going to be all about trying to get things done and trying to put a good plan in place. I love doing these episodes at this time of year because as we get closer to the end of the year, I like to get organized. I like to make myself, challenge myself to, you know, coming around to a plan for ending the year strong and starting the new year off with a bang. Not with New Year's resolutions, no. And I'll talk to you about that as we get closer to the end of the year. But really with visualization. So, you know, we'll talk about what that looks like. So in this episode, I'm talking with a financial advisor who has a very different vision of what advising looks like for people, for families like ours and for other folks. His name is James Grace, and I am very excited for you to meet him and to listen to his story and to get a peek into his style of practicing. It's, you know, I, I think different. It's a very holistic way of practicing. Uh, I've met a lot of financial advisors in my time, some of them very, very good. Um, and it's not about just the investment strategies. Um, it goes beyond that. It, it really is about taking that broader look at what a family needs. And families like ours need so much more than just that investment strategy. They need life strategies and life support. So I'm kicking off my um, next few episodes with a bang with James Grace. And here we go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. So we're nearing the end of the year, and you know what that means. We've got to get our house in order, all kinds of things we have to pay attention to. And this has been a crazy year. We've had a lot of changes. We've had, um, quite a few legal changes. We've had lots of changes due to COVID. 
a lot of us have had some healthcare changes. We have been out of school, in school, back out of school. We've been out of our businesses, back in our businesses, back out of our businesses. Some of us have changed jobs. We've changed lots of things. And um, we've got some potential tax law changes. So because so much has changed and we are really, um, really needing to kind of pull together and think about what we're doing for 2022, I really want to introduce you to James Grace. It was by Jim. Hey, Jim. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> and we are going to, you know, put our seatbelts on and we are going to, you know, buckle in and pull together a plan for 2022. I'm going to do a couple of pieces in the series for pulling together your estate plan, your financial plan, and your personal plan. And along those lines, you know, a lot in our program here, we talk about very individualized and person-centered planning. And Jim is not your average financial planner. And I got really, really interested in speaking with him and talking to him about his company, Silver Pine Capital, because they are very different in the way they approach things. It's pretty hard for our families to find an advisor that's interested in doing very individualized and very person-centered planning, especially if we don't have bazillions of dollars to come and invest with them. So I want to introduce you to Jim and I want him to tell us a little bit about himself, why he's so interested in working with families like ours and you know, what's different about their process and about what they do. So Jim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you I know I'm giving you a tall order, but <laughs> can you just start by telling us a little bit about, about you, why you do what you do and, you know, tell us a little bit more about this process and about your company. That's great. Thank you so much for the introduction. I appreciate it. We're having a, a lot of fun um, engaging with our clients in the way that we are uh, these days. So I'm happy to tell you more about it. Um, I am Jim Grace, the Director of Wealth Management at Silver Pine Capital. We're a wealth management firm. I've been a financial advisor for the better part of the last 12 years or so. I started out um, at an arm of MetLife um, many years ago. So I was in kind of an insurance channel advisor for a while. I moved from there and went and was a private client advisor at the bank, um, at a bank, uh, for many years. And then most recently I partnered, um, with my current partner in Silver Pine and an independent RIA where I am right now. Um, and I tell you that to just share that I've, I've seen different sides of the business and I understand how financial advice is offered depending on the person that you're introduced to. Um, and that's not to make any judgment. They're great financial advisors and financial planners, men and women at different shapes and sized organizations all over the place, but it is a little bit different. Um, so one thing to, you know, potentially check out when you're, when you're talking to a financial advisor is who they work for and what their process looks like. And MetLife actually has a specialty or a special Met desk or it's called something different now. Yeah. It's evolved and they all went to mass mutual, the agents, right. um, 
many years ago, uh, not many, I guess, but a number of years ago, um, Met got out of the agency business. So they're on the street. Financial advisors are now part of Mass Mutual, but they have a, at one point had a specific dedicated um, designation within the organization that was geared towards providing advice to families with special needs. And I actually earlier in my career got to um, shadow some of the advisors that worked in that space and, and worked with some families who. They've um, always had that commitment. Yeah. And I know that you enjoyed um, working with Families Life Hours, which you're going to talk about a little right. bit more. Right. Um, so sorry I interrupted you. Yeah, no worries. No, hopefully the more conversational, the better. Yeah, for, for something like this. This is great. Um, so I've always just been drawn to uh, helping people um, with complex issues. So it could be, you know, potentially having a, a special needs child and some of the challenges that come with that. Or, you know, there's a lot of other things that are thrown at us as as people in this world that present um, an opportunity for me to help through financial planning. And I've always just been drawn to that side of the business. My partner handles the investments. So, you know, I don't make final decisions on any investment strategy if a client works with us in that way. And, and I like it that way. I want to do the planning and work with families um, and help them get through potentially, uh, you know, challenging, complex situations. So, um, that kind of brings me to how we started providing financial advice and financial planning the way that we do. Right. When we first got together, we started talking about two things specifically. Would we have a minimum to invest with us if clients wanted us to invest on their behalf? And the answer to that question was no for a few specific reasons. And the other question that we debated was, would we charge for financial planning? And that sometimes that's given away pro bono. If you invest with a firm, sometimes it's for a fee. Traditionally speaking, what that process looked like of financial planning was that you would sit with an advisor, you would pay them an upfront fee, they would collect all your information and analyze it and then report back to you a financial plan. Hopefully that was tailored to your specific goals and the things that you want to accomplish, but it was captured and processed and delivered in a short period of time. Right. And we decided we weren't going to do that because we think there's flaws in that process. Not mm -hmm. that it, it can't as a standalone be an important um, and useful tool to have a plan developed and, and reviewed and, and presented by an advisor. But we just felt like most of the time, what clients do with those documents is they leave the office, they put it on the shelf, and then maybe they implement a thing here or there. But by three months down the road, six months down the road, that document is somewhat obsolete. And I think COVID was a great example for that. If you had purchased a financial plan in, say, February of 2020, by March 15th, six weeks later, your world has just been flipped upside down, right? There was great right. impact for income. And if you've already been delivered this static financial advice, then what do you do with that? Do you have to go back and pay another fee to get it updated? It doesn't allow for things to evolve and change over time. And the other thing that we, we found is that to make a recommendation is one thing, but to really help a client understand why they would make the changes they need to make to their financial plan takes time because they really need to understand it fully 
and attach meaning and purpose to what it is they're trying to accomplish to be successful long-term. And that just takes time and coaching. So we're not new to this game, but it's, it's becoming more popular. What, what we do is we actually sit down with a client. We decide what it is we're trying to accomplish. So sending kids to school, um, retiring early, buying a second home, um, getting older and aging is a big one. We do a lot of planning with um, having a special needs child and focusing on that particular topic. Whatever the case might be, we sit down and we determine what it is we're trying to work on with the clients we work with. We try to figure out how much time we're going to spend over the course of many months individually on each topic. We calculate what the fee is and we divide it by 12 and then we start billing monthly. And what we do is we start um, with an understanding of a client's current financial position and then we get together regularly and build those, their plan over time. And so we bill monthly and we get together. We try to get together with clients once a month. The first part of the process is to understand fully their current financial situation. And that's probably what we'll talk about a lot today is getting organized. We help them get organized and get visibility of their situation. Then we move to talking about prioritizing goals and mm -hmm. setting objectives and really trying to attach meaning to those goals because the more purposeful and deeply we feel about what it is we're trying to accomplish, the more likely we are to stick to it, right? Right, and which um, is a lot of what we do too in life planning and we call that person-centered planning. So yes, keep going. This is yeah, fast. Yeah, yeah. So, and then again, that it just takes time because if you ask the question, you know, what are you saving for? What are you investing for? Some people might have a surface level answer that comes out but that oftentimes that's not truly what the meaning behind their objective is, right? So having more money is, is not really a good goal. Having enough money to provide stability for multi, you know, the next generation for the special needs trust, because you want your child to be taken care of a very specific way. That's a deep, meaningful, visceral goal, that experience to think about it and talk about it. And if we, if we think about our financial plan that way, we're much more likely to stick to the plan and be successful. Um, but you're so we, also going deeper though. I know I'm interrupting again. No, it's great. It's great. Again, what I've seen with some financial advisors, and this isn't everybody, I'm not trying to paint everybody with the same brush, but you know, they'll say, okay, so you want to provide for your child. Oh, I get that. And then they just want to plug a number in. So they'll call me and they'll say, Annette, how much is it going to cost? How much is it going to cost to take care of this child per year? How much is it going to cost for a group home? How much is it going to cost? You know, and they're, they, they're not getting involved with, you know, what is this child's life going to be like? And what are the contingencies? And, you know, what's the range? And so they just are trying to do these Monte Carlo simulations and they're just plugging numbers in and spitting out a report. And, and that's the stuff clients don't understand that anyway. So they right. may agree and say, Oh yeah, this makes sense, but there's no actionable uh, use of that information. Most of the time it's valuable. If you're trying to gut check your tracking towards retirement or kind of some what ifs and it's, and it's not. Yeah. So right. you want to, you want to produce X income and right. X capital growth. And 
but not bonding the clients to you as an advisor, really. Yeah. And it's not bringing the clients to you to ask those questions about, should we be buying some insurance? Should we be, you know, spending money on this? And, you know, should we buy a home? Should we buy an apartment for our child? Like, you know, it's, it's not adding you to the team. Right. In any real way. And so that's where I feel like your, your process and your connection with your client is very different. And so again, I'm just jumping in and jumping ahead, but please continue. No, that's great. Well, I I really appreciate the, the feedback. And, um, I think one of the things that Met's program did really well, and I've actually, you know, taken some of the things that I learned from way back then and applied it over my career is they did a really good job trying to uncover some of these really personal, meaningful reasons um, for what it was the client was hoping to accomplish. And they had a process of understanding, you know, how truly you wanted to care for your child. And that process can be applied to everything within a financial planning construct. And again, we don't make change as human beings a lot of times, or we don't stick to our game plan or, or trying to accomplish a goal because it, we don't have real good meaning at- assigned to, you know, what it is we're hoping to accomplish. So we, we try to take some time and talk to our clients about that, the touchy feely stuff and the, and the whys behind what it is they're, they're hoping to accomplish. A good example is, is just simply saving for college. We have some clients that want to fully fund their child's education on the surface that not might not necessarily be a, a the first recommendation we might make, we, we want clients to consider some other things before fully funding for college. Right. But when we talk to them about why and the fact that their parents didn't go to school and the feeling that they had in viewing their parents at their graduation and, and how proud they were to be able to send their kids to school without debt, that assigns a yeah. really deeply meaningful um, reason to accomplish that goal. Right. And it's not our job to tell people what's important to them. It's to help try to get them to recognize what's important to them. And then we can apply financial analysis to that construct, if that makes sense. Sure. So it just, it takes some time. Um, but we've recognized right away in going about the process the way that we have, we're finding clients are engaging at a much deeper level than we ever have in the past. And therefore they're getting a lot out of it and they're, they're arriving at better outcomes for their overall financial plan. So we've seen it now live as we've moved from this kind of short term static planning model that is kind of the traditional Monte Carlo analysis and report. And again, there's nothing wrong with that and it can be really useful to more of a long term relationship platform. Um, and we just take the time to understand where our clients are, what it is they're hoping to accomplish and why. And then from there, we can start to make some recommendations. We can do some analysis to say, all right, you're off track. Here's some recommendations. But then we also want to be with those clients a couple of months later to say, how are you doing? Because clients need someone's in not all cases, but some clients need um, somebody or something to hold them accountable to check back in and, and remind them because they're busy and we all have things going on. So that's kind of high level what our process looks like. 
Um, we start with an understanding of where you're at. We talk about where you're hoping to go and why and, and assign some meaning and purpose to some of those goals. Then we get into financial analysis and recommendations and implementation. You know, how are you going to go about actually changing your financial situation? And again, we, we figure out what we would charge for that plan. We divide it by 12 and we start on a monthly basis. Um, some people refer to it as financial coaching. I don't know necessarily love the term, but I think it fits really well. It's been described to us both as personal training, a uh, personal trainer for your finances, somebody that's going to be with you for a while and, and, and help you get things organized. If you prefer a more professional analogy, it's almost uh, as if uh, we were hiring a personal CFO to come in and open up the books and kind of understand how the household is running and make some recommendations. So the whole operation is, is running more efficiently. And again, we're not, we didn't create it. We, we heard it about it um, out there in the space. Um, and then we took some time. We, we looked at how other people went about it and we kind of cobbled together how we felt we would deliver financial advice to our clients. And it's been, a really rewarding experience to see how our clients have engaged with it um, over time. Right. And so, I mean, this is not a commercial for Jim. This is a program to kind of let people know that um, this is a good fit for our families and that, you know, maybe you could be looking for someone who works in this fashion with, with, um, advising and, um, to, if you're going out there and you are interviewing people to maybe, you know, check out their process and see if it's something like this and see if this would fit your style. Because I know with our families, with, um, whether you're somebody with a disability yourself, whether you are caring for somebody with a disability, we are very busy people and the traditional way of handing us a questionnaire with 40 pages to fill out and asking us to, you know, get you back all this information and then just waiting for us to get back to you and plugging all those numbers in and then having one meeting and then, you know, giving us back this big document and having the quote review meeting. It's, it's so that works for some people, but it wouldn't work for me. And it probably wouldn't work for a bunch of my clients. Mm -hmm. So it's just another way for people to maybe think about getting some financial advising and coaching. I like that term and getting ready for the new year, um, being able to get a good person centered financial plan in place for their mm -hmm. family. And so I wanted to just offer that up as a possibility as people go out there and look for, you know, some tools. That's great. Yeah, I think there are many different shapes and sizes of advisor out there working at many different types of organizations. We happen to be an RIA. There are broker-dealer relationships. There's... Um, RIA is? Registered Investment Advisor. Not Great. to be confused with IRA, which is individual retirement account <laughs> transposed quite often. But again, I, I think you summed it up nicely. There's it's it's worth checking out who you're working with 
and how they're going about delivering the advice. Some people, if you do choose to invest, you just get ongoing financial advice as a service. Mm-hmm. Um, but some clients don't want investment advice, or at least they don't think so upfront, don't think they need it or have enough to invest, um, which leads them to be hesitant to approach advisors sometimes. So it's this has been a good outlet for those folks, I think, that um, either don't feel like they have enough to invest or aren't sure they want somebody to manage their money, but they know that they need advice and they want a second opinion on their situation and they want some coaching and guidance on the overall picture. And this has been a really good way for us to meet them where they're at um, right? and then go from there. Many families, uh, especially families on the younger side, their wealth, if you will, is tied up in their home and their retirement accounts, which are not available for investment yet. Right. And so they don't have a few million dollars or even a few hundred thousand dollars sometimes to give to an investment advisor. But they still need somebody to advise them and plan with them. What and a good example of the things that we find in that situation, <clears throat> excuse me, where we can be helpful is that's a typical person who might not work with an advisor, either can't find an outlet because they don't have any money to invest, or they don't even approach one because they don't you know, mm-hmm. feel like they have enough or it's worthwhile. But because we've started a planning process, you mentioned their 401ks. We see often clients who are doing pretty well, but they're maybe not mass affluent, but they're making too much money, quote unquote, to invest in a Roth. And because we've helped explain some of the particulars of their specific 401k plans, they can contribute directly to a Roth through their 401k. And they weren't even aware of it. They didn't, you know, have the the time or expertise to investigate that. But because we were able to start with the planning process, we're able to identify all these little tweaks and minor changes that lead to greater efficiency and long-term success. Um, Oh, yeah. 100%. So sometimes just being able to purchase that advice and consultation can be super helpful as opposed to just relying on the 1-800 number at your investment advisor you know, I'll just say like the fidelities of the world or the Merrill Lynch's of the world, because you don't really have somebody who is dedicated to you mm-hmm. and also, you know, who is neutral. Right. And again, we're human beings and we bring a lot to the table. And there are a lot of great financial technology or fintech platforms out there right now that are bringing tools to the market to really help people get organized, budget, we could talk about a few of them today. Um, but one thing I would say is <laughs> to just, if you're getting financial advice from a robo-advisor, some of them are called, um, <clears throat> I think you just need to be cautious of some of those outlets, just like hiring an advisor. If you're going to hire a formatted you know, robo-advisor to give you financial advice, I think it, it lacks something in the way of human interaction in that you know, a robot isn't going to stop you from making irrational decisions, which a human being can identify and helpfully coach you out of. Um, So it's one thing to be aware of as well. So after somebody jumps in with you and is able to do the deep level planning in year one, which can be really painful to do because you have to confront a lot of emotion when you're dealing with money. Yeah. 
what happens in year two and three when you're getting into maintenance? You know, what does that look like? For our process specifically? Yeah. So what we'll do is we don't want to keep people on a planning uh, wheel forever, right? We want to try to identify a point at which we feel like we can end the formal education and coaching process and kind of turn them loose. At that point, we have a retaining uh, fee that a client can charge us for some level of check-in quarterly, semi-annually, annually. So we can get back together, kind of see how things are doing. And we use an online tool to aggregate account information and everything. So if, and they can pay a fee to stay on that platform. So if they want to keep the planning tools and access to us, there's different service level agreements that we won't, you know, go anywhere. Some, some clients do end up investing with us. It's not an obligation of the platform and it's not an expectation. So some clients, you know, think they might not want advice or don't have enough. And then that they find out that, you know, after the process, they would like us to take that on. Um, so sometimes we end up keeping clients that way. Um, so, but again, we don't, you know, we won't want to charge people a fee in perpetuity. Um, you know, because once we feel like they're fully educated and got their hands around the game plan and they've implemented the strategy, then it just becomes a regular, some somewhat regular check-in. Are we on track? That's where the Monte Carlo simulation here or there to say, hey, are we are we tacking towards our, our goals can be useful. Um, and we offer a number of different ways to kind of maintain a relationship that way. Okay. So you mentioned fintech. And I, and I love technology. Who doesn't? It's yeah. fun and it's helpful. What kinds of tools, um, can, can be helpful to people? It depends on what you need. So I think the first thing that everybody should do if they're getting their house in order is to, um, get organized and put everything in one place. And it doesn't have to be a fintech product. It could be a spreadsheet or a piece of paper, but everybody needs a net worth and a balance sheet or some version, right? We just want to identify all the different accounts that we have and where they are and what they're for. Um, there are companies and platforms out there like Personal Capital, which is a fintech platform that'll help clients aggregate all of their financial information. That's one example of a tool that's out there. I don't know. They also do some robo advising and some investment management. So I don't know if you have to invest with them to, to get the account aggregation tools, but that's an example of one that's out there, but it's really critical to take inventory. So if you, to use a new year's resolution example, is if the equivalent is getting in shape, the first thing that we need to do is get on the scale and see where we're at and see where our starting point is. Um, and that's, I think, the first step for everybody if we're trying to get our financial houses in order is to take a look at the house. Um, okay, my friends, I can hear the anxiety starting to ratchet up. Take a deep breath. Well, it's funny you said that because I think even, I was going to say, even to take a step back further, yes. um, slow down and take a deep breath. It isn't going to be perfect, but it is what it is. Right. And we're all doing it. I make financial mistakes all the time. Hopefully they're small because I know better, but I get busy. I have two kids of my own. I have a house and a business. It, it is what it is. Right. But burying your head in the sand is not, 
is not the answer. So to slow down, take a deep breath and take a look at what's there. And it, what about simple basic tools like Quicken or something like that? Yeah, QuickBooks can be great. Um, it's usually a lot more tool than what the average person needs. Um, but if you're talking about like budgeting apps, um, all the major financial institutions that I work with now, my banks and my credit cards, allow me to take a look at my spending transactions and categorize yeah. them. And that so would be bring it all into one place, though. I was thinking about Quicken, not QuickBooks. Yep. Quicken will do that for you. And there are a few other smaller kind of applications that. Yeah. Yeah. We have a tool. It's part of our financial planning software that we use. It's called eMoney. Um, that's a fidelity product. Um, there are others out there um, that will allow you to aggregate accounts. And okay. sometimes if you look at your financial institution, I'm starting to see them there. So right. the banks are doing it. Definitely. Right. They're allowing you to um, port in information from other, other financial institutions. So whatever your main account is right. that you're working from your operating account, if you will, mm -hmm. they're allowing you to bring in information from right. other places. Right. And that's really important because when you do that, we find that the vast majority of people have never seen it all in one place on one yeah. screen. They have different logins for different accounts. They have a list of passwords that they have to consult to. They have old accounts at jobs they're no longer working for. Yes. And putting it all in one place, if you use a fintech platform. My little book where I keep all go. my passwords. There it's you go. If I lost this, oh my gosh. Well, and that's at least you have them in one place and it's not multiple places for multiple, you know, possibilities of losing information. Um, so like a personal capital or some of these platforms out there that allow you to get everything in one place are really great. Even if it's a spreadsheet, that's better than nothing. So if you're not tech savvy or, or, uh, Tech is a, not a friend as it is to some folks. Um, just using, I have a client who calls it his farmer's accounting and it's a yellow, uh, legal pad yeah. and it's got his wife on one side and him on the other joint assets in the middle and it all rolls down at the end of the year. He loves doing it and we take that information and we upload it electronically because that's how we want to see it. And that, right. that's fine. Right. Um, so however you want to, you have to get organized and it's, and it can be a really powerful thing to see everything in one place. And then you would move to tracking spending. And that's not budgeting yet when the B word is another cause for a lot of stress and anxiety. But yes. we just think it's a good idea. Just start tracking your spending and categorizing your spending. And that is something that all the major financial institutions that I work with allow you to do. So you can go in and see. I spent money at Dunkin' Donuts. I bought something on Amazon. Amazon is a sneaky one because it just says Amazon. So Amazon, right. I like to tell people that is not a, a financial spending category. Right? <laughs> so what did you buy at Amazon that went into that? That's what you're looking for. We don't want to know. <laughs> I, there, it's funny when we talk about it. There's usually, if it's a couple, that's usually, my oh. wife and I are the same way. We kind of laugh because we, we oh. always... What's in the Amazon purchase and who made it? Um, 
but after you're organized and you start looking at your spending and then just try to see, is there anything that jumps out at you? Um, You know what really jumps out? All of those uh, payments that are auto pays every month. Right. Man, those add up to a lot and you don't realize that, you know, they just keep coming every month and you forget about them. And then, you know, sometimes if you don't see it or if you're not doing it regularly, it'll post it's once a month or it's once, you know, once a year. My wife and I had two Amazon Prime uh, accounts early on when Prime became a thing because we weren't paying enough attention. And why does one household need two Prime accounts unless you're trying for different credit cards and things. So Mm -hmm. things like that, that's a great point. And once you have visibility of it, then you can start some housekeeping, which we advise, is there anything that can be gotten rid of right now, either an account or a transaction? And that auto payments, that's like looking in your closet and saying, I haven't worn this shirt in three years. So go ahead and, and get rid of that. Oh there's no. A, there's a <laughs> lot of things. Oh right. no. Tough calls. Wedding, just thinking about it. Right. Are you really using that? Is that really helping you accomplish your goal? Is it, you know, the Marie Kondo thing, right? Is this bringing yes. you joy? Yes. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of transactions are just clutter. And, I don't want to get rid of my shoes though. Yeah. Right. That's exactly. As far as to get back to, to platforms, there's a web called website called uh, YNAB, Y-N-A-B. It stands for you need a budget.com that I actually really like. And because it's based in a process that I agree with, which is that number one, everybody needs a budget, but number two, every dollar should have a job. So it helps people visually as the way that they display their information and attracts transactions and assigns budgets is, is pretty cool. So I'd encourage people if they haven't seen that one and they're looking for a budget specific tool and tracking spending. That's a really good one that I've used in the, in the past. The mint.coms of the world. There's a lot when it comes to budgeting out there these days that people could take advantage of. Um, but that tra- sounds great. Yeah. We so usually tracking. like to call it a spending plan because that just sounds more positive than budgeting. Budgeting sounds negative. Spending plan sounds like something I get to do. That's right. That's right. And a spending plan AKA budgeting is assigning a certain amount of money to a particular category that you're going to try to stick to. And that's where you can make, you know, try to change some habits and track progress and, you know, how are we doing towards those goals, which is, is all important as well. So, so I need to um, get to something pretty important though. So as we're looking you know, to next year and we're thinking about some pretty important things. And in, in, in another segment, we're going to be talking about some of the potential tax law changes and how that, you know, might or might not impact us. Um, what can we or should we be doing to um, really get prepared um, besides getting, you know, just kind of getting organized you know, really like, let's take the kid gloves off now. Okay. Mm-hmm. So gotten ourselves organized. What's the next thing that we really, really have to do to get ourselves together for next year? So once you're organized and once you're tracking your spending, you should have a really good hold on your current financial position. And then I think it's really 
time to sit down and spend time in the mirror or as a couple if you're married talking about what is really important to you. And I, I really think that this is something that not enough people do. We are very reactive in our financial lives because we're busy and there's a lot that's thrown at us. So we tend to react to situations and do the best that we can um, over time. So Jim, I'm just going to be real with you. You know this. Many, many people can't and don't or don't know how to talk about money. Yeah. Yeah. It's a difficult thing to do, I think. And it's actually one of the reasons that we moved to the model that we have and some of the things that we're working on now is how do we build behavioral finance into our process? And that's the number one thing that I think stresses people out is just simply talking about money or one of the top couple of things. It's just, just even dealing with it. And the reasons why can be very individualized. Um, some people are remarried and they're anchored to a prior spouse and how they dealt with things. A lot of folks are anchored towards their, how their parents did things and their parents could be beautiful, smart people, but their situation is, is much different than, than a second generation for however many reasons. It's not enough money to go around with everything that you want to do. Right. Values are just very different. Yep. I know for me, I get terrible stomach aches thinking about it. Um, right. Grew up really poor, and yeah, I just get very anxious and about I think the subject of money. I'm not a therapist, um, but I think it's really important for people to share with their spouse. Let's assume it's a, a couple, or be honest with themselves about. What are some of these anxieties that we're bringing to the table and where do they come from? And just be transparent with it. Um, I deal with the same thing in my own relationship that it's difficult for my wife and I to talk about money. And the problem that we ran into is for a long time, we didn't talk about money because mm-hmm. I was a financial advisor. So that was an easy excuse for both of us. Jim would yeah. just take care of the money. And tip, I find that a lot, of, not a lot, but some clients find themselves in that situation as a default. Someone takes care of the money and that's right. the way it is. And that I can speak from experience as an advisor is the wrong thing to do because it doesn't give enough credit to the other spouse of being able or capable um, to handle some of the finances and it puts people in boxes. And that's that's a tough place to move forward from. Well, you're not honoring both people's goals and vision. Right. Right. Because it's not just about who's writing the checks. It's really what you were saying about the goals, the vision. What do you want from your money? Right. And what, what scares you? What anxieties do you have? And, and why? Where do some of these things come from? Um, Again, it, it sounds maybe too high level, but I don't think enough people stop before they start planning and think about what's important to us. What are we bringing to the table? What are some of the issues that we're dealing with? For example, it's very difficult to get your financial house in order if somebody has a problem with uh, drugs and alcohol, gambling. I mean, these are extreme examples, of course, but they come up from time to time. That's an example. But no, but here's the thing with our families, 
with the extreme issues that we deal with, with health and well-being and having to plan for potentially somebody else in our family's entire lifetime, as opposed to a kid being out of out of our household by the time they're 22 to 25 years old and not dependent anymore, that burden can break sometimes, break a family, you know, and that is so emotional. It's so hard to talk about. And you know that most of us cannot afford to plan for an entire next generation's Mm -hmm. lifetime. And the fear of failing at that financially, it's so scary. And that's almost a a great example of one of the biases in investing is loss aversion, right? So one of the, the biases that we all bring to the table is we're more concerned with losing money on average, not everybody, but we're much more fee- fearful of losing money or assets that we have than we are um, motivated to earn a lot of return. And I can imagine that And I know from experience, the clients that we've worked with in that example that you're talking about, when you're dealing with a child that you have to plan for, it makes those decisions that much more stressful because it's that much more of a big deal to these folks. They're already bringing some of these biases and confirmations uh, to the table. And then their individual situation is just making it worse. Um, But we find that if you do put in the time to talk about what it is your goals are and the meaning and the purpose behind them and spending some time in there, although challenging, sets up a much better starting point to move forward from. Um, And the more that you recognize what stresses people out, the better you can be to A, not put yourself in that situation. uh, but then be able to talk in a way that honors the person you're you're living with and 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 doing this planning with and gives them a space to uh, be open and honest. And it's just a much better place to to start from. You know what I started doing a few years ago that's been really helpful. It's not always easy, but I do a visualization exercise. And, and it helps calm me down. And I just visualize myself accomplishing whatever goal that I am striving for. So if I were trying to accomplish my child being in their own home and what that looked like, I would visualize that. That's fantastic. And, you know, and then can work backwards from there. Right. But if you if you just are stressing about today and the beginning of the game board you know it seems so daunting right it's a great point and yeah, one of the things picture it yeah and that's part of that process of doing some housekeeping up front canceling a subscription can be really empowering that you got something done, you, you accomplished something and you're thereby saving money, right? So going in and canceling the Hulu subscription that you never watch and identifying that is a good example of just a small task that you can, it's part of this greater goal of spending less money, but it's a to-do that you can cross off right away. And it's a good starting point. And there's a lot of, one book I read recently was Atomic Habits. Um, and it's about changing behavior. And 
it's been a while since I, I read it, but one of the things that jumped out to me was to not pile on too much. And you've, you've kind of touched on this idea that at the starting point of our financial lives and looking out into the future, especially if you have a special needs child that you're trying to do multi-generational planning for, it can be really daunting. But there are always small tasks that we can do that get us headed in the right direction, taking that first step forward. Okay, so, so that's your third tip. So I hear you saying three things. So you said get started. Take a deep breath. We should start take with take breath. take a deep breath. Yeah. And then um, your middle thing was that you need to get organized. Yep. Get organized. Yeah. Get yourself together. Take a look at what's there, both from what accounts do I have, what are they for. Uh, and then start looking at spending and budgeting, spending plan. That's another critical, you know, first step is what, what does my overall financial position look like right now? The next thing would be spend some time really thinking about what's meaningful and trying to assign very specific individual goals to those accounts. Goals. Right. Think right. about what's meaningful. Talk about what's meaningful. And then yeah. number four would be to prioritize those things. Because mm -hmm. a lot of times what we hear from clients that we work with is they have a long list of things that they're trying to accomplish. And the unfortunate Ooh, yeah. part of all most of our lives, um, some people have enough money to accomplish it all, but most of us don't, right? right? So there's going to be a time where you have to choose between putting that dollar in the 529 plan for college or putting it in a retirement plan. As just a simple example of that choice, but you have to prioritize. And that's where assigning meaning and purpose to the goal is really important because yeah. if those things aren't aligned, it makes us more, it makes it more difficult to stick to the plan that will eventually develop. So you really need to, to rank them in order. What's most important? My, my child being taken care of the way that we wish for the rest of our lives. That might mean that some of your other goals aren't going to look exactly like you'd hope in the future, or maybe they won't happen at all, but you could feel better about making sure that you're accomplishing the priority that you have in front of you. So setting goals, talking about some of the, the more emotional side of the goals and then prioritizing is three A and B, I would say of, of getting your house in order. And then from there, you could start coming up with a plan. How are we going to accomplish these things? And hopefully by this point, it's where you're headed is self-evident, right? If I want to send my child to college and I haven't started saving for that goal, then your action item would be to find a 529 plan if that's, you know, the strategy that you choose. And, you know, there's all different lists of ways to set goals and plans, but Typically, they need to be very specific. So, yes. smart goals. What's that? Smart goals. Smart goals, exactly. We I talked about this on my podcast last year. We'll go over that again. Smart goal. What What are smart goals? So I forget the exact uh, acronym, but it's specific, specific measurable, measurable, attainable. Um. um what's uh, P is time frame, I believe. So that's also an important one. 
But you essentially, what you want to do is have specific goals. Saving more or spending less is not a good goal, in my opinion, right? That's a high level, you know, that's a gut reaction to the process, right? But I want to put $500 more away uh, on a regular basis into this particular account is very specific and real. Or Um, 10% of my take home or something like that. Correct, correct. And the more specific the possible having a time frame associated with it. So when will you do it? How often you will do it? How often you will track it? We like to make sure that clients are tracking goals at least once a week in the early going. Some clients get really excited about saving money or spending less. So they're, they're looking at things every day. But if it's not measurable to use the M mm-hmm. um, and you're not tracking it, you're much less likely to stick to it. So you're going to look at it every quarter and you're going to make sure that you're hitting certain goals right. at the quarter end. There's a um, there's a really cool website out there. It's called Stick. It's S-T-I-C-K-K dot com. And it was built by behavioral uh, economists from Northwestern. And what they did was they found that people don't stick to goals and plans primarily for two big reasons. One, they don't have any skin in the game. Right. It doesn't cost them anything to not accomplish the goal. And number two, it's not part of a community. They're not accountable to anybody else. So that could be a spouse. If you're a single person, maybe a friend that you need to tell people about what it is you're trying to accomplish because you're much more likely to stick to a plan if somebody else knows what's happening. So they've built this website that helps clients create what they call commitment contracts. And it's based on these principles that you get a referee. So if you have somebody that's also logged into this site and looking at your goal and helping you track it and measure how you're doing, you're two times more likely to stick to your plan. And if you have financial stakes in the game, what I would say about financial stakes or skin in the game, that's where having purpose really comes in. If Mm -hmm. we find if people don't have purpose assigned to a plan or a goal, it's it's not going to last. Yeah, because, that's not a problem with our families because they right. are so motivated. Right. Exactly. The yeah. goal to protect their loved one, their care yeah. that they're caring for. I mean, that is so, you know, quintessential to what's going on with them. And they, of course, they're trying to make sure that they're okay. I mean, it can be a double whammy sometimes if their kid is not going to achieve adulthood in that same way. They don't have a caregiver either. Right. So as they get to be elderly, maybe they don't have a caregiver for themselves. So they have to save for their own, you know, elderly, elder years it differently right. than, you know, say someone who knows that their kids are going to be able to take them in. Right. To their home. right. It's, a, it's a unique situation. It's and a- Extremely unique, and it makes the time horizon of the plan extremely long, which can be mm-hmm. challenging. Mm-hmm. And what, what it comes back to, too, is is when uh, people are stressed. So if that is a daunting task that right. provides and, and creates some anxiety, when we're anxious, stressed individuals, we tend to make poorer financial decisions, um, <clears throat> especially in investing. When the market's on top of it, you know, you're investing for a goal and we go through a year like 2020, where it's a bit of a, not a bit, a significant roller coaster down, then up. 
we're, we're, the more stressed we are, the more anxious we are, the less clear we are with our game plan and the less purpose we have assigned to the goals tends right. to lead us to make, you know, poor financial decisions, which is why, again, to get prepared, we need to get organized and we need to think about what it is we're trying to accomplish and why. And if we have those two things, when things get stressful, we can fall back on that and feel really good about it and here have clear vision of why we're doing the things that, that we're going to do. Well, I think 2022 is going to be a great year for everybody. And I am so excited that we've had you here to help us get organized and to visualize our goals and to get there. So thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. No, no, I'm, so excited to be here and talk about this. And I wish everybody the great 2020 that we all, 2022 that we all expected to be. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Annette. Take care. Bye, Jim. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.